You are listening to season four of the Bitcoin Takeover podcast, a 10 part series in which hardware wallet makers and breakers get interviewed. Before I introduce this episode's guests, let's hear a few words from the show's sponsors. LXMI is a European cryptocurrency exchange whose name is inspired by Lakshmi, the Hindu goddess of wealth, good fortune, and prosperity. It's one of the regulated and legal cryptocurrency exchanges. On LXMI, you can buy bitcoins with most fiat currencies, and you can also do trading with top altcoins. They follow the Not Your Keys, Not Your Bitcoins philosophy with their integrated non-custodial wallet, which helps you manage your own private keys. So if you're into trading, then you don't have to worry about having your crypto frozen by whatever political decisions, since you're empowered to hold and move your coins whenever you wish. It's great to have new players like LXMI that respect your financial sovereignty. LXMI is launching in 2020, and for more information, please check out lxmi.io. If you're not into trading, it's recommended to move your coins to a hardware wallet or some other form of cold storage, and in this episode, you're about to find out why. Please keep in mind that this is just an ad for a sponsor of the show. It's not meant to serve as financial advice, and you're responsible to do your own research before buying anything and act according to your own decisions. Embrace your financial sovereignty with agency and precaution. Hey you! Looking for the simplest way to get started sending Satoshis on the Lightning Network? Then sign up with your social account on BottlePay now. BottlePay is your premium Lightning service for unfairly cheap and effortless Bitcoin payments. It is powerful enough to offer all of the payment features you need while also being simple enough for no coiners to understand. No more confusion and headaches. Send Satoshis instantly to anyone on a supported social network in a couple of clicks. Log in today at bottle.li and receive 1,000 free Satoshis to get you started sending and receiving Bitcoins. Follow the steps to become a power user and earn even more. Head over to bottle.li and get started now. Hi there, and welcome to Season 4 of the Bitcoin Takeover Podcast. I am Vlad, and this season is specifically about the makers and the breakers of hardware wallets. And this first episode is actually about the oldest hardware wallet the oldest major hardware wallet that is still on the market, which is the KeepKey. And my guest is John, who is the COO of Shapeshift. So hi, John. Hi there, Vlad. How are you doing today? I'm okay. But before we move on with our conversation, I just want to give a shout out to the two sponsors of this episode, who are LXMI, a European exchange that's going to launch in 2020, and BottlePay, which is a payment system that has become very popular on Twitter. So I gave them a shout out. Now let's talk about hardware wallets. 
Uh, I was wait, waiting for a confirmation. Awkward moment. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> yes, yes. Let's let's do it. So my first question for you is: Why would anyone need a hardware wallet? Because usually when experts discuss security, they're going to say, "Oh, it's so much better to use a paper wallet or a brain wallet." or to write your seed words on some sort of metal plate. Why use a hardware wallet at all? Yeah, so, um, well, first off, I'm not sure I agree with that sum of advice, especially about brain wallets. I don't think anyone thinks brain wallets are good security in 2019. Um, They've shown to be very, very crackable. But aside from something like that, um, a hardware wallet is a very good a combination of security and convenience for the average user, especially if they're holding any large amount of crypto. Um, you, it, it gives you the ability to, you know, obviously generate your keys offline. You can still hold the seed on a metal plate or on paper somewhere, store it away, but it gives you much easier access to that. Versus if you're using just a paper wallet, anytime you want to actually use it, um, you're going to have to scan it, put it onto something online or, you know, deal with a bunch of offline transaction signing software or something very complicated. For the average user, that's not really tenable. Um, a hardware wallet makes that a lot easier to actually interact with your, your crypto and do it in such a way that you don't expose your private keys during the process. So I think hardware wallets offer a very, very good, you know, degree of security, but still offering the convenience of being able to actually use it. Um, with a paper wallet, you don't really have that choice. It's, you know, a paper wallet's really only best for something that you're going to put in a safe and forget about for the next decade. Um, other than that, it's not very usable. Okay. Now, in regards to the Keep Key hardware wallet, what is your position in regards to the product? Have you been part of the development team? So as chief operations officer, I have not directly been uh, part of the development team. I've certainly been involved in our development conversations where we're bringing the software that goes along with the KeepKey, um, as well as the firmware updates we're doing and security, uh, you know, reviews and updates and vulnerabilities that come in. I'm involved with all of that um, at a high level, um, but I'm not down in the weeds of actually working on the code of this thing. Um, we have an engineering team that is mostly doing that at this point. Okay, so given this experience that you have and the exposure, why do you think that Bitcoiners should buy the KeepKey right now? What is special about it as compared to the competition? Yeah, the the main thing that I say would be special um, nowadays is really the software implementation that we've just released. We kind of made a decision that the, the hardware was, you know, pretty darn good as far as we can tell over time. But what we really didn't like was the original KeepKey client um, that when we acquired KeepKey was mainly being used. We, we've supported that since we acquired KeepKey, but we recently, just back in July, uh, launched a new Shapeshift platform that's really become the new interface and software component for KeepKey. And I think in combination with that, it's really the best hardware experience on the market. Um, in my opinion, because I think that's where um, I haven't been as pleased with some other hardware wallets. I like a lot of other other hardware wallets. It's not to say anything about uh, problems with those devices, but I think the software has been lacking over the years. And I think the software that we released, you know, offers a much better user experience for the average user. 
Okay, so you have mentioned other hardware wallets, and this is the territory where it gets very interesting because I want to ask you about the pros and cons that you can mention of every other major competitor. Like, what do you think about the Trezor? Yeah, so I think the Trezor is a very good device uh, for the most part. Honestly, I'm I'm big. I, I own a number of hardware wallets myself, including hardware wallets from the competition, and I I think that there's a number of good options out there. So uh, I'm not sitting here thinking that, you know, the keep key is great and everything else is terrible. That's just not really the case. There's, there's a number of good hardware out there, um, the Trezor among them. So the Trezor overall, I think is a very good device. Um, one of the cons compared to the keep key might just be that it has a, a much smaller screen, at least the original device. Um, and so that doesn't always let you see like entire Bitcoin addresses, which can be um, a little worrisome from a man in the middle, uh, component but overall it's not a huge issue um it's it's still a very good device i've owned i've owned a trezor pretty much as long as i've owned a keep key what about the new bitbox o2 i'm not sure if you were able to test it but it looks um it takes yeah i actually i actually uh met the bitbox folks um i think they're based out of switzerland if i remember correctly um and I, we, we actually went and talked with them in their offices last year. And that device seems pretty interesting. I, I can't say I know enough about it to say what the immediate downsides or major pros of it are, but um, it seemed like an interesting approach. Yeah, a lot of people talk about the keep key and they mention, uh, I'm sorry, not the keep key, the bitbox. And they mentioned how the first model got hacked and they had to discontinue it and come up uh, with a design. And do you think that the team is very good and competent enough to release something that is worthy of users' trust? Because so far it hasn't been hacked because it's too new. Yeah, so I guess it depends. I don't know enough about the history uh, to, I think, weigh in as much as I'd like to there. Um, it depends how it was hacked the first time. Hacked can mean a lot of things when it comes to a hardware wallet. And that can mean something very, very bad, or it can mean something totally innocuous depending what that means. If it was, if it was an actual like remote vulnerability, that's among the worst that you can have on a hardware wallet. And that if it actually required them releasing a new device because the other one wasn't savable, then that's not a good thing. Um, at the same time, um, I don't know enough about their team and engineers to say whether they're, you know, over, you know, competent enough or not, et cetera. So I'm, I'm not sure I know enough to weigh in on that. Yeah, I like to think that the fact that they have a Bitcoin core developer among them is just an extra layer of trust that you can put into them, even though it's a bad idea to put trust in anyone in this industry. Anyway, let's not talk too much about the Bitbox. Let's move on to maybe the most popular device among Bitcoiners on Twitter, which is the cold card. What do you think about it? Yeah, the cold card's another one that's pretty new on the scene that I don't I don't know enough about to to weigh in on you know exactly what its security features um, you know are, are compared to other wallets. Um, from what I've heard, it seems like an interesting device, but I, I'm not sure if it gives as much full features, especially on the software side, as like a Trezor or a Ledger or a KeepKey. Oh, I think it's the exact opposite of what Shapeshift is trying to do with the KeepKey because it has no computer interface. It's made to do most operations on device 
and it uses a BIP. I don't recall the number of it, but it's called partially signed Bitcoin transactions. Ah. You can just power the device and you operate with an SD card that you then connect to your computer. And you're supposed to use either Electrum personal server or Wasabi wallet or some kind of third-party open source software. So they don't have like a computer software implementation. This is good for gotcha. folks, but not for newbies who are just trying to get into Bitcoin. Yeah, so exactly. That might be really good for someone um, who just cares about those things, who's already comfortable with things like Electrum or Wasabi. Um, but generally, those type of interfaces leave a lot of lacking for the majority of users is what we found. Okay, so we have one device left in this classification, and that's the ledger, which sometimes seems mm -hmm. quite polarizing because some people criticize them for not open sourcing all of their code, and they criticize the fact that you have to trust the company, and most of the times that's a bad idea in this sector. Yeah, so I've owned ledgers um, ever since they came out. I remember when they first started going to conferences um, before we even owned KeepKey, and I, I've always found them interesting devices. I, I own a number of different ledgers myself. Um, overall, I think they're great devices. Um, I definitely understand the apprehension uh, about the fact that not all their firmware, especially, is open source, and that really you know unnerves, especially you know old school Bitcoiners. And they're not always that comfortable with that. And I think that's totally valid if that's what they want. But I've never heard of any major, um, you know, attack on someone's ledger remotely or something like that that gave me pause or issue. So I think that they're pretty secure. Um, you know, again, one of the problems with the, the legacy, at least Ledger Nano S, was just, again, that the screen was a little bit on the small side, especially compared to the keep keys. So you can't display entire addresses on it, which, again, can be a little bit of a man in the middle problem. Um, but overall, I think it's a really still good device. Um, I wouldn't tell anyone not to get a ledger if that's what the type of, you know, form factor and what they were going for. So you spoke about open source code, and I think that's also an interesting discussion to be had, because I want to ask you how much of the code that goes into the keep key is open sourced? And... Why do sometimes competitors call the keep key a treasure clone? Yeah, so I'll answer the second question first, which is when we acquired, I mean, the, the reason they call it a treasure clone is that when before we even acquired keep key, when the original developers of the keep key company had created the device, um, they forked the original firmware from the treasure. So it is it's not exactly a clone because the code has diverged quite a bit over the last two or three years. Um, but originally it was a fork of the open source treasure code. So there is a lot of relation there in terms of the foundation of the firmware. Uh, but since then they've really kind of gone their own separate ways and, you know, there, there's still some similarities at least compared to like a, a ledger, but they've been developed pretty differently over time. Um, and all of keep keys firmware is open source. You can go on GitHub and see all of it. Okay, that's a good answer. <laughs> so I mentioned in my review in Bitcoin Magazine that the keep key is the oldest design in the review. And there are several features that newer models include and the keep key doesn't. 
So are you thinking right now of releasing some kind of updated keep key, a different kind of hardware wallet with a different design? Because also I remember the keep key was about $200 at some point, and now you can buy it for, I think it's 49 or something or $10 yep. with your membership on Shapeshift. So yep. you have some sort of new premium device coming. Um, it's certainly something we're thinking about. We're not at a point where we're ready to announce anything on that front or, or say that there will be another device coming. You know, our, our real focus in the immediate short term is improving the experience of using the keep key as much as possible. And so that really means updates to the software that you use with it, which right now with the main focus is the actual Shapeshift platform, um, as well as firmware and, you know, adding more additional coin support and things like that. Um, is really where the immediate updates are going to come for the Keep Key more than a new device. So uh, I guess you're not going to release anytime soon any kind of model that Bitcoin only, because I see that there's a trend that I observed in Trezor and also Cold Card and Bitbox that they release Bitcoin only devices. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, we don't have any plans to do that on a hardware level at the moment. I think that's something, you know, and, and also, you know, you know, part of that is, you know, the shapeshift's history is obviously we come from a very multi-coin, you know, philosophy in place of everything we've done over time. And the majority of our users are constantly like the biggest requests we get for KeepKey and Shapeshift combined is more coins, more coins, more coins. So at least our user base is not the ones that are generally asking for a Bitcoin only device. That being said, if we saw a large demand for that among our users, um, we could consider something like that. We probably wouldn't release a new device, but we could release, you know, a firmware version that would take everything off except for the Bitcoin uh, part of the firmware. And that would effectively be the same thing. Yeah, I think a lot of companies do this. I don't think they have different hardware, but they have just the Bitcoin software to make sure that they reduce the attack surface. Yeah, it's an interesting thought. Again, I think if we saw enough demand from our users to do that, it might be something we consider. But right now, the, the main feedback we're getting from our users is the opposite. They want more coins, more assets, not less. Another popular feature that seems to be more in demand in the last couple of years among Bitcoiners is the ability to do multi-sigs. And some people mm -hmm. regard this as a good way to secure your coins because you have different parts of your private key being in different places and you can have organizations which control a certain amount of bitcoins or you can have families which manage their funds and have this political dimension which prevents any one party from arbitrarily spending the entire amount and mm -hmm. in my experience reviewing the keep key it's not very friendly with multi-sig setups so do you think you're going to improve on that or is it a priority right now? Yeah. So yeah, multi-sig is obviously great. Um, there is an ability to use uh, keep key in multi-sig fashion today, but you're right. It's not super streamlined and you'd have to have a decent bit of technical knowledge to do it correctly. Um, it's definitely something we have talked a lot about in that um, will either, you know, is or will become a priority pretty soon, especially through the new Shapeshift platform software using your KeepKey. I think there's a lot of cool things that we can and want to do with multi-sig in the KeepKey. Um, so I definitely think there will be a lot of multi-sig related features coming to the KeepKey, you know, in the, you know, short to medium term future. Um, 
I don't know exactly when those will release yet um, or what they'll look like, but I think there's quite a few things we want to do on that front to make multi-sig just far easier to use with PP, as well as just on the platform overall. I think right now, one of the main advantages and selling points of the PP is the price itself. Because of the top five biggest hardware wallet manufacturers, you have the cheapest device on the market. And I can think of ways in which maybe somebody who is security minded will just buy KeepKey because it's solid, it's rugged, it, it has that nice form factor and it displays the entire Bitcoin address. And they're going to run something like Electrum or Wasabi instead of using the shapeshift software that you have for the KeepKey. You have any mm-hmm. kind of advice or recommendations for people who buy the KeepKey for this purpose? Um, yeah, I mean, that's a totally legit way to use the keep key. And if that's, you know, what people prefer and want to use, then, uh, you know, that's totally cool. Um, I don't know that I have any specific advice other than just being careful. Um, I've seen at least a number of people get hit with phishing attacks when using Electrum. I don't know that any particular software is immune from this. Um, but there, there are still a number of attacks that exist, especially on older versions of Electrum that you just have to be careful about. Um, so it definitely takes, again, a little more technical know-how to, I think, do that correctly. But if you have that technical know-how, then that's a, you know, perfectly valid way to use the keep key. And there's nothing wrong with that. You just won't get some of the more advanced features that we're going to be able to offer through things like the Shapeshift platform now and going forward. Oh, okay. So can you talk about these advanced features that are going to be available on the Shapeshift platform? Yeah. So, I mean, even today you have, you know, when you plug a keep key into the Shapeshift platform, you have access to significantly more, you know, asset support than you're going to get on Electrum. Um, you have access to the, you know, free trading that we just released in the last week via our Fox token that you get for free. Um, and that's kind of just the start of things. You also have the ability to, you know, view your entire portfolio of assets, view that over time, a much nicer visualization. And we're going to be bringing more and more interesting, you know, features and abilities to interact with, you know, the blockchain in various ways, you know, the Bitcoin blockchain, but of course, other blockchains and, you know, dApps and things like that. Things that will just be more optimized through the platform and just a much nicer UX and UI. Okay. Also... When I visited the Shapeshift platform while doing my review for Bitcoin Magazine, I noticed that you enable a feature to connect your ledger or your Trezor to the platform. Mm-hmm. It was interesting to me because basically you're supporting the competition or are you really? Yeah, we, uh, we definitely are. Uh, I, I think actually using your Trezor, for example, with the Shapeshift platform is the best way to use your Trezor out today. <laughs> um, I've used it with my Trezor. I love it. Um, uh, we, you know, we are definitely supporting other hardware wallets on the Shapeshift platform. The KeepKey is going to be the device that it's most optimized for and kind of the premium experience. But we want to support, you know, as many, you know, relevant hardware devices like the Trezor and the Ledger as we can. Um, the ledger support is not fully out yet, but it actually will be in a matter of weeks, not months. So that's coming very soon. And yeah, we're we're very happy to support other hardware wallets in the platform. Ultimately, our goal is to really promote the use of non-custodial solutions. Um, we think the keep key is a great way to do that, and you know, probably the best way to use the Shapeshift platform today. But we know that there's a lot of Trezor users out there. There's a lot of ledger users, and 
those devices are still very good devices and we wouldn't tell anyone that they have to switch to use the Shapeshift platform. We think that as long as they're using a good hardware wallet and a non-custodial solution, that's good enough for us. We don't, it doesn't necessarily have to be the keep key for us to be happy. So don't you think that you're disincentivizing people from purchasing the keep key by allowing them to use just a Trezor? Yeah, you could argue that, and that, that might be the case for some people. But ultimately, again, the goal is not just to sell keep keys. The goal is to you know put out software there that really promotes the use of non-custodial uh, wallet and you know exchange software. And that's really where Shapeshift's bread and butter is. We think the keep key is a great addition to that. And again, is probably the best use of the experience, but you can still have a really great experience on Shapeshift without a keep key with a treasure of ledger. And that might mean people don't buy the keep key and that's okay. We're, we're totally fine with that. So what are keep keys or Shapeshift's plan for the hardware wallet market? Yeah, I mean, the main plan is kind of what we just talked about, which is really producing the best possible software to use with your hardware wallet. Because I think, again, that's historically where hardware wallets have kind of lacked the most has been the actual UI and UX of the software that you connect with and use. And, you know, the device is one thing, and it's obviously paramount because that's where your keys are actually kept and the real security. But 90, you know, 90 to 95% of the time, a user is actually interacting or trying to do a transaction. They have to use the actual software attached to the thing. And that's where most of their interaction with the device actually happens. So in our opinion, the most important thing to, to do really well, um, in addition to having a very good key store, like a key key or another hardware wallet, is the actual software. So a lot of our focus and plans for the immediate future are on improving that software and making the best possible UI and UX for using a hardware wallet and storing your assets non-custodially and trading non-custodially. Do you also consider allowing users to connect to the Shapeshift platform with their full nodes? As sometimes it's important for users to have this sort of privacy where their transaction data gets stored on their devices and they don't have to trust the third party, whether it's Shapeshift or some other node, but they're relaying of... Yeah. Yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting point. Definitely something we've considered. Um, Right now, the best way to do that today would be to use something like an Electrum. Um, at some point, it would be nice to allow the Shapeshift software to be run locally and let people to do that. Um, that hasn't really been a priority for us and the majority of our users, that's not what they're looking for. We do certainly allow the ability though for someone to use the software totally anonymously um, without giving us any information as long as they only need to do that if they want to trade. So they do have the ability to get on there and not give us any information and clear out any data that they give us, you know, after use and things like that. But eventually, you know, especially if there's demand for it, we probably would release some localized version that can be run on someone's desktop as well. It's just not an immediate priority. Yeah, I remember that Shapeshift was one of the most popular services in 2017. And a lot of people were, I think, mostly converting Bitcoin for Monero or the other way around. And at some point, I don't know exactly what happened, but you started to allow people to sign up to the platform. And to some people, that was the moment when you somewhat fell out of grace or something, especially to the hardcore maximalists. So I, I think it would yeah. make a lot of difference if you allowed more privacy for users, but at the same time to meddle with regulators in a way that also makes it okay for you. 
Yeah, it's a, it's a fine line to walk, of course. But yeah, we, we care a lot about privacy of our users and we're very interested to give features to them. Um, some of those like, you know, running the software locally is a pretty technically advanced feature that, you know, most users are not going to use. That's probably why it hasn't been prioritized for us yet. But we have prioritized a lot of other privacy-centric features, like the ability to use the entire platform anonymously um, without giving us any information, and you know you don't you don't expose anything that way. So there there are various things that we will continue to do to support those privacy-centric minded folks because they're still a large part of our user base. Yeah, I think that's very important, and something else that I think should be considered. I don't think there is demand for it because most users don't really don't really understand how it works. But UTXO control is essential because sometimes you have 50 bitcoins or something, and you're sending 0.1 bitcoin, and you don't want the other person to know how much bitcoin you have. Mm-hmm. And you should try to have smaller UTXOs, and maybe you have a 0.2 bitcoin UTXO that you use to send 0.1 and the other person will not know that you actually hold 50 or 100 or 1,000, whatever. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, our, so our software will all, are already automatically try to prioritize your smallest UTXOs when creating a transaction. Most good Bitcoin software should do that, um, but we've definitely talked about releasing more advanced features for power users that would allow them to you know, specifically choose which UTXOs they want to use in a transaction, which change address, et cetera. That's another one of those features that, you know, the majority of, I think, our users, it's just a little, you know, too technically advanced for what they actually need or want. But it would be a great thing to um, release eventually. And I, I would, you know, I would love to have that feature myself. It'd be great. Okay. So let's say that I order a key key today and I get it. What kind of software or which software is it going to run? Is it the local software that was used originally or do I have to connect to the Shapeshift platform? So you still have a choice if you get the KeepKey today. The recommended experience, the best experience in our opinion is definitely to connect to the Shapeshift platform. Um, and it's the, most, it's the most flexible because you can access it you know, from anywhere, from any device. Um, for the most part, even, you know, even if your KeepKey is not plugged in, you can still check your balance on your phone and things like that. So it's a very flexible software, but you can still use the KeepKey client. You can still use Electrum, as you've mentioned. So there are other options depending on what you want. But the, we would definitely, what's, what's, what, if you buy the device today, what you're going to see in the device and what we're going to highly recommend to you is the platform software because we think it's uh, you know far and beyond the best UX for the KeepKey and really for any hardware wallet. Okay. Well, I actually had another question. Let me think. Oh, yeah, it's about the difference in price. So you can get mm-hmm. a key key today for, I think it's $39, the full price, or you can get it for $10 if you sign up with Shapeshift. Would you mm-hmm. say that 39 no, $29 is the price that you pay for your data? Yeah, no. So not really, because we don't pay. We don't pay for data. We don't sell data. Honestly, the data has no monetary value to us. <laughs> and we wish, you know, in a perfect world, we wouldn't take the data at all. But, you know, due to various regulatory situations, it's just a reality that we have to, in some cases, at least for trading. 
Um, so the main reason, and also that $10 price is very much a promotional price that won't last forever and it won't always be available. So that's more just a promotion we're doing to, you know, get people incentivized to actually want to try out the platform and, you know, get a key key, which we think is, you know, again, a, a great way to store your keys and hold your funds. And we think that's worthwhile to offer a cheap option for people who might be on the fence. Um, so we, we think that's what it's more about. It's really not about the cost of the data because again, that doesn't really have much, if any monetary value to us as a company. Yeah. Sometimes I think about this in Google terms, you know, when Google is offering all that suit of applications for free and you're thinking what happens to the files that I store in the cloud in my Google drive or whatever. So when I saw this difference, my first thought was, okay, so what happens to that personal data? Why does it matter that you sign up with your email address to, to Shapeshift? Yeah, and, and it's a good question. And I think when you're using the Google example, it's a really smart and, you know, that is the way to think about it. That is what a company like that is doing. Um, in the case of Shapeshift, though, we don't actually ever do anything with that data. In fact, we don't mine it. We don't sell it. We don't share it with third parties. We don't sell it to anyone. In fact, we're one of the few companies out there that actually spent a lot of extra time and engineering effort and the continuing time and engineering effort to immediately encrypt all that data um, the moment we get it. So even, even internally, we can't really read it unless there's some situation where we have to decrypt and look at it uh, for you know, a specific regulatory reason or something like that. Um, it's completely inaccessible. It's entirely encrypted the moment we get it. So you're saying that there's a way to associate a certain transaction with a user? So we, we, what we can associate with is an XPUB. And if, if we were to decrypt the data, there would be a way for us to associate that if we had to in a regulatory situation. But we generally don't do that. And again, if someone's really concerned about privacy, they don't have to sign up or give us any information at all, in which case there's really no way to associate it. I think that this is a useful question because a lot of people criticize the fact that Shapeshift allows you to sign up in the first place. And it's also useful for me to learn. So do you think that in the future there will be a market for Bitcoin transaction data with people being very interested to acquire a large amount of transactions so that they can associate and maybe try to find some sort of relations and links? Yeah, um, there certainly will be and already is in some cases. So, you know, a company like Chain Analysis and companies like that, that, you know, primarily sell to regulators and law enforcement, there's already a huge market for that type of data, um, as well as anyone that has to deal with any heavy amounts of regulatory compliance, that all those things already, have, there is large markets for that type of data. Um, we don't personally take or store such data or sell that data, and we're not interested in supporting such markets. But I, you know, it would be a lie to say that there isn't a lot of interest in such data. There absolutely is. Okay. Now, let me ask you just, I think it's going to be one or two last questions about hacking hardware wallets and how you react when somebody hacks your device. Did you have any kind of situation where you were under pressure to release a fix for some kind of vulnerability? 
Yes, definitely. Um, you know, in the time since we've acquired KeepKey, there have been a number of security vulnerabilities um, in the KeepKey. Usually it's not just the KeepKey, it's usually either the KeepKey and the Trezor or the KeepKey, Trezor and Ledger altogether. Um, so usually what happens is we will get a, uh, a vulnerability report from some sort of security researcher or we'll figure out something internally ourselves and share it with other companies when that happens or another company figures out something and shares it with us. Um, generally, this tends to be pretty collaborative, even among these competitive companies, because everybody has an interest in keeping their users' funds safe. And it really depends on the vulnerability. Some vulnerabilities have been very minor over time, and you know you want to get a fix out there, but the attack surface or the likelihood of the attack is very, very insignificant. Um, and in that case, it's not as much of an emergency. But then, yeah, sometimes there have been vulnerabilities that are more significant or more worrisome, and you try to get those, you know, a firmware update to patch those out as quickly as possible um, without revealing any information about the attack or how to do it until the update is out there. So that's always something that you deal with when you have, when you, you know, are an owner of a hardware device like this. Um, you know, it's just inevitable that people are going to keep trying to hack things over time. Nothing will ever be 100% safe. Um, there will always be potential issues that can pop up. And the most important thing is to just know that you have a team behind that hardware wallet that you own that's going to react to those things quickly. The good news is that the vast majority of these attacks, even the serious ones, almost all of them require some sort of physical access to, to the device to do anything significant. Um, I've seen very few, if any, actual remote type attacks, which would be far more worrisome. But, you know, this, the the ones with the device in hand are still serious and we patch those as quickly as we can, but those tend to be a lower attack surface than, you know, someone that's able to, you know, do something online and take over your computer and attack the device that way. So that's, that's very, very rare with hardware wallets because of their designs and keeping the keys offline. And that's really what, you know, helps prioritize what is an emergency and what isn't. So would you agree that it's very, it's essential to keep your hardware wallet away from physical contact and any type of physical tampering. And that's the, the main attack vector to any device. Yes. Um, you know, so as our, you know, our chief security officer would say, um, anytime someone has physical access to something, given enough time and motivation, there's likely a way that they can break into that thing. Um, you know, it's a big difference between whether that takes a few seconds or, you know, days or weeks of dedicated time and equipment. But yes, definitely, you know, if you have a large amount of funds on your hardware device, you should treat it as you would anything else that you would keep a large amount of funds with. And you shouldn't just let people have physical access to it at any time without your knowledge. That's never going to be good from an OPSEC or security paradigm. Okay, so my last question is about something which I discovered while doing my review for Bitcoin Magazine. I was not able to find any kind of section on your website which mentions bounty programs in case somebody finds a vulnerability in the keep key and they want to get a reward for it. What they what do they do more exactly? Yeah, so there is there is actually a bounty program uh, that we are consistently running for that. Um, I wonder if it's maybe it's not on the keep key. It's on the Shapeshift actual website. If you go to Shapeshift and you look at the responsible disclosure program. Uh, there is an actual whole section about that, and we list people that we've paid, how much, what, how to report to us. So we do actually have a whole policy how to deal with this, and we've been running that for quite a while. 
Okay, you, you just gave me some homework. <laughs> yeah, if you go to if you go to shapeshift.com and just look in the footer, you'll see a link to responsible disclosure policy and there's a whole page describing everything we do on that front. So, yeah, we've been running that ever since we acquired Kiki. Okay. So, John, thank you very much for doing this. I appreciate that you answered even the toughest of questions that may not be comfortable. Absolutely. It was a good time. Words about hardware wallets and what you think they should be and how they're going to improve in the coming years. Sure. I mean, I think that, again, the most important thing is that I think the majority of hardware wallets on the market, especially when you're talking about the keep key, the treasure and the ledger, do a very good job of keeping your keys disconnected from the Internet um, and not being exposed that way, which is honestly the biggest risk for any crypto user on a day to day basis. So I think. The most important thing I would get out to people is just the importance of using a hardware device like that. If you're going to store your own keys, which we at ShapeShift certainly think you should for a number of reasons, your probably easiest, most convenient way to do that in a very safe way is with a hardware wallet. And we think that's worthwhile. Um, and we personally think the KeepKey is a great way to do that and that it has the best software experience you could possibly have. Um, and it's only going to get better. So we, you know, we just really encourage people, hold your own keys, not your keys, not your crypto. Okay, thank you very much. And just so you know, this entire season is going to consist of 10 episodes where hardware wallet makers get to talk about their products and they promote what is special about the devices that they're developing and selling. And there's also going to be a section dedicated to hackers so that they can give some advice and maybe tell stories about how they broke into some kind of device. So thank you, John. Thank you very much, Vlad. Thanks for having me. Let's hear a few words from the show's sponsors. LXMI is a European cryptocurrency exchange whose name is inspired by Lakshmi, the Hindu goddess of wealth, good fortune, and prosperity. It's one of the regulated and legal cryptocurrency exchanges. On LXMI, you can buy bitcoins with most fiat currencies, and you can also do trading with top altcoins. They follow the Not Your Keys, Not Your Bitcoins philosophy with their integrated non-custodial wallet, which helps you manage your own private keys. So if you're into trading, then you don't have to worry about having your crypto frozen by whatever political decisions, since you're empowered to hold and move your coins whenever you wish. It's great to have new players like LXMI that respect your financial sovereignty. LXMI is launching in 2020, and for more information, please check out lxmi.io. If you're not into trading, it's recommended to move your coins to a hardware wallet or some other form of cold storage, and in this episode, you're about to find out why. Please keep in mind that this is just an ad for a sponsor of the show. It's not meant to serve as financial advice, and you're responsible to do your own research before buying anything and act according to your own decisions. Embrace your financial sovereignty with agency and precaution. Hey you! Looking for the simplest way to get started sending Satoshis on the Lightning Network? Then sign up with your social account on Bottle Pay now. 
BattlePay is your premium lightning service for unfairly cheap and effortless Bitcoin payments. It is powerful enough to offer all of the payment features you need while also being simple enough for no coiners to understand. No more confusion and headaches. Send Satoshis instantly to anyone on a supported social network in a couple of clicks. Log in today at bottle.li and receive 1,000 free Satoshis to get you started sending and receiving Bitcoins. Follow the steps to become a power user and earn even more. Head over to bottle.li and get started now.